As high school football teams start their summer practices, coaches are implementing new concussion prevention techniques. New legislation mandates that all high school and youth football coaches in Indiana take concussion awareness training courses, and more players are buying helmets specifically designed to protect the head against concussions. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, and today on Noon Edition, we'll discuss the changes being made to football and other sports aimed at making the games and the practices safer. We'll talk to coaches and medical experts about the latest guidelines and technology, and we invite you to join our conversation right after this hour's news. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement, offering undergraduate and advanced degrees, publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're going to be talking about uh, new concussion prevention measures in high school football. Uh, we have three guests, two in the studio and one guest who's joining us by phone. But uh, in the studio with us today are Dr. Terry Horner of the Indiana Sports Concussion Network and also Coach Mike Kirshner, the head football coach at Ben Davis High School. Joining us by phone is Ashley Horn, who's sales manager from SG Helmets. If you want to join the conversation, if you have questions or comments, uh, there are many ways you can do that. You can give us a call at 855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. So thanks for coming down today. Appreciate having both of you here. Thank and you. Ashley, Thank you. thanks for joining us on Thank the phone. Hi, right. Bob. Hey, Mary Catherine. Hey, so um, concussions have been, I mean, football's been around a long time, soccer, baseball, all sorts of sports have been around a long time. So I'm going to start with you, Dr. Horner. I mean, why, why is the uh, issue of concussions getting so much uh, play now? Well, I think basically we know more about concussions now. We have a better way of diagnosing them. We know more about the consequences of concussion. And so we want to be proactive in trying to do the things that we can help prevent concussions or at least get them treated sooner. Well, how do you diagnose a concussion? <clears throat> well, basically, the brain's a very complicated organ, and we don't know as much about the brain as all the other organs. So the definition of a concussion is pretty complex. But if we break it down, we have to have two things happen. One, you have to have a head event, and that can be head-to-head, head-to-ground, head-to-knee, but you don't always have to hit your head. You can just get shoved, your body shoved, and you have this acceleration and deceleration forces and rotational forces of the head. And we think that probably has as much to do with the concussion as the blow itself. Mm -hmm. So if you have a head event, you have to have one or more of about 22 symptoms. Oh my. Headache, nausea, vomiting, light sensitivity, noise sensitivity, irritability, fatigue, trouble focusing, concentrating, remembering things, sleep disturbances and emotional disturbances. So all of those are dependent upon the athlete telling us that they have a symptom because mm -hmm. we can't see symptoms. Mm -hmm. And then we can use signs. Signs on the field are like the athlete gets knocked down, he gets up slowly, holds his head, might be a little confused, mm -hmm. may have any of the symptoms that we talked about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So basically, that's how we diagnose this. Now, it's not the easiest thing to diagnose unless the kid is very, very um, cooperative with us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned in your opening comments, uh, what, what are the effects of a concussion? What, what can that result in? Well, Aside from the, the symptoms that you just mentioned. Yeah, and the symptoms are, are, are a problem because... 
it's the only sports injury that affects our ability to go to school, really, and to think. Mm. Okay, so these kids begin to have trouble focusing, concentrating, remembering things. If it's not treated, then their grades may begin to go down. Mm -hmm. So we we have to look at the cognitive aspects as well as the physical signs. What about long-term? Well, probably only about 5% or so of kids that have concussions fall into what we call this post-concussion syndrome, and that's where their symptoms persist for maybe 10, 12 weeks or more. Mm. Then this creates a lot of problems in treatment because often they become very depressed during this period of time. We have to treat them not only with antidepressant medications, but sometimes with psychiatric treatment. It just prolongs their getting back. I mean, we have seen kids that have had to drop out of school for a period of time, a semester or even a year. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the big long-term problems with concussions. Now, whether CTE, that's chronic traumatic encephalopathy that we hear so much about with the NFL players, now some of the soccer players and the hockey players, Mm -hmm. developing early dementia and other types of problems. Mm -hmm. Whether that's 100% related to concussion or not, we don't have all the data on that because Mm -hmm. We don't have that many cases to mm-hmm. look at. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Thank you. Uh, coach Kirshner, um, so you know, in, in your role as head football coach at Ben Davis, can you talk about you know, what's new this year? I mean, what, what do you have to do this year that you haven't had to do before in order to deal with this? Well, one of the, one of the things we have to do is we have to take uh, concussion-related tests uh, that are offered through the uh, National Federation of High School Learning. Uh, it, it is a state law in Indiana now that all our coaches, all our staff, and I've got 27 staff members, 9 through 12, that have to take this test and pass the test. Um, but on a side note, we've been doing that for about five years. Um, that's, that's been our training staff at Ben Davis has made that mandatory. And what it does is it gives us information on uh, things on what to look for, signs of a kid that may have a concussion, and, and what we go through. And then we have met and put in a training policy several years ago at our school that if a kid tells us they have an issue or we've noticed an issue, we send them to the trainer. Our trainer then, um, all our kids have to take an impact test preseason, um, which is what they call the baseline. Um, and then they're not allowed to return until they take the impact test again and pass it and then go through a functional progression with our athletic trainers and doctors showing them that they can meet a certain physical standard before they're allowed to return to play. So all this has been in place at Ben Davis for several years prior to the state law coming into effect for us taking the test. So we feel like we have a pretty good um, uh, plan put into place to kind of counteract that. And and honestly, our, our standard... If a kid tells us that they're they're feeling funny or they have an headache or they're dizzy or they look lightheaded or they don't walk the same or run the same and we send them into the trainer, on history has told us they're out for a minimum of two weeks. That That's the minimum. And in most cases, it's longer than that. Mike, it sounds like you guys have really gone out and above and beyond the call of duty starting all these things that are now mandatory. You started them early. What's been your experience with other high schools? What percentage do you think that you play have followed suit with you and, and really tried to go above and beyond? I, I really think all of them in, in the schools we play. Now, we're in a big conference with a lot of big schools that have a, have a lot of resources available to us. But I really think that all of us are kind of following that protocol. When it all started coming about that there was an issue, all right, um, I, th- I think everybody's proactive. Like on our Friday night, our doctors come in twice a week during the week, doctors, not the train. Trainers are there every day. Doctors come in twice a week, and then on Friday night for a game, we have two doctors on our sideline, Methodist Sports Medicine and IU Sports Medicine. Both have a doctor on our sideline, and if they, if they notice a kid, they, they just grab them and they take their helmet and helmet gets put in the equipment room and the kid's out for the game. And there's no discussion. It's not like, you know, when I was a kid, well, you know, and I'm a kid of the 60s and 70s. It was, you know, do you feel all right? Yeah, I think I feel all right. All right, then get back in there. That, that doesn't really exist on the field of play, at least not anything I've seen anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have a, 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 a question that's come in. Uh, do other sports have that many medical experts at their games, you know? I think it depends on the sport, and it depends on the school. Um, Some schools have a trainer, 
but ner- nearly all of, all of them, as the coaches said, have somebody for football, mm-hmm. doctors and trainers. But uh, some of the soccer teams do not. Uh, certainly club sports are in a whole different category, so they can't afford to have somebody mm-hmm. there all the mm-hmm. time. Um, so it's prevalent in football because that's where we see the most concussions than any other sport. And so it's got all the attention. Mm-hmm. Well, we have uh, Ashley um, on the line, Ashley Horn, a sales manager for SG Helmets. So, Ashley, could you talk a little bit first about your company and second, you know, how it's changed over the last few years? Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on. Our company, SG Helmets, we're based in uh, Brownsburg, Indiana, and we are a local company building the first ever non-plastic football helmet. It is a carbon Kevlar uh, football helmet, and our company, in its relation to the concussion issue in sports and, of course, football, as, as we only currently manufacture football helmets, is right at the forefront. Our company exists because uh, our founder, Bill Simpson, believed coming as a spectator from the racing industry saw a, a void in the protection available for football athletes. He felt that he had the knowledge and experience from the auto racing industry to adapt and upgrade the protection and do some innovation in the, in the realm of football helmets. So, so how long has your company been making these out of this new material? Well, we've been in, in research and development, uh, started four years ago. I think the product has actually been on the field of play for, it will be its third full season. There has been um, some prototypes out for a little longer than that. But really, when we're talking about mass production, this will be year number three. Okay. Ashley, um, we were talking with Mike b- before the show, and he said that helmets are rated on a one to five scale. Could you explain that to us, please, and talk about your helmets, where they fit into that? Do you have a, do you provide them on different levels on the scale, or how does that work? Well, I think Coach was referring to a Virginia Tech star rating system. Uh, that is a one. Uh, researcher's opinion on, on helmets he devised out of the Virginia Tech University devised a rating system and he has taken it upon himself to rate helmets. In order to be used in the field of play, your helmets are required to have a certification from NOXIE, or an organization that is the governing body. That is really what this standard is for manufacturers. We, have, we are required to build helmets that are a pass-fail on that NOXIE standard. The rating system is like I said, done by an individual researcher or third party. It, it is uh, used frequently because it's very easy for um, people to look at it and, and say five stars is good, two stars is bad. Um, however, we caution against it just because it is one individual study, and that's not always the best thing. As we, I would just caution any listeners who are in the market for a football helmet Make sure whatever you're wearing is Noxus certified, of course, is the most important thing, and then fits correctly. We always talk about fitting. Um, The truth is I believe that there's not one helmet that is a fit-all. One helmet manufacturer may be a better fit for one player versus another. Mm -hmm. Coach, how how have helmets changed? changed in your time i mean you played in the you said the early 70s probably right yeah, all the way back to the 60s yeah <laughs> i mean how have the helmets changed over time well they, they, with with all the latest technology and, and research that's been available they've changed quite a bit um in reference to the stars you know uh, that that virginia tech puts on a helmet uh the vsr4 which is a rydell helmet um a few years ago was considered one of the top of the line helmets it has a one star rating and the Virginia Tech study went through about 20,000 20, different things that they they, they went through. And, and um, whoever the from Simpson there, she's correct. It has to have the Noxy standard. But we went from when I was a kid to having a one bar for a face mask to the whole cage. And part of the problem, I think, with helmets is when the face mask got put on and they got all this big plastic Coaches uh, back in the 60s and 70s assumed that we could use our heads more in, in, in a contact way because they were protected by this helmet, not knowing that um, 
that that really wasn't protecting us like we thought. And in fact, there's a there's an old adage that if we took the face mask off, you'd probably reduce the concussions to almost nil because the head would immediately get out of the game. That the face mask gave us a false sense that the head was now protected. Mm-hmm. And we're finding out now through research um, it, with even the Virginia Tech study and, and, and all the things the doctors know about the brain that that's not necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree with uh, Coach's point there. That's what our company has kind of stepped in and where we saw the issue. Our helmet is the most distinguishing feature is it's lightweight. It's two and a half pounds in an adult version. And in your youth version, you're talking about a pound and a half. And we believe part of that is because we believe exactly what Coach said, that these players with such a large, bulky product on their head is a provides a false sense of security, and they're actually even encouraged to utilize their head and um, therefore sometimes get lazy on on their tackling technique. And I know coaches work so hard to teach that proper technique, get their head up and out of the way and try and avoid it, particularly in the youth level. When you're talking about a guy that's five or six, seven years old, it is really difficult for him to hold up a helmet that weighs four or five pounds over the course of an hour and a half long game. Mm -hmm. So what we look at is, is that weight being a key feature, um, for these internal injuries now, which is the new issue, which is mostly the mechanism for concussion. Ashley, for those of us who are completely ignorant on this topic, uh, myself included, give me a price range of a youth helmet and a price range of an adult helmet. Well, on uh, I think football helmets range all the way from about $90 to... Uh, I think our helmet and some of the other competitors' helmets, top-tier helmet is around... 400 at the individual, you know, the, the upper 300s. Um, and and that, that those prices hold true for both youth and adult, just depending on what you're looking for. I, see. Um, I know our helmet, for instance, is, is in the upper tier on the price point, and it is individually 349 and the varsity helmet is individually 399 Coach, does your organization pay for those kids' Uh, helmets, or do their parents have to kick in, or how does that work? Well, it, at the high school level, all our kids are, are given the helmets by us through the through the township, through um, our athletic department. Uh, the same with our middle school kids, because we have 250 high school kids who play football, 250 middle school kids who play football. The youth league is a separate entity of itself, and they are responsible for purchasing it. Now, the league has hundreds of helmets. Um, they buy their helmets, but there will be some kids that will buy their own. I've got a young man uh, be a freshman this year that has purchased a Simpson helmet. If they come to me and say they want a specific brand, that's their helmet. They they can wear it for the next four years, and, and, and that's perfectly fine. But we provide the helmets because it is such a huge cost. And I know there's some schools that have more money. I live in a school system that, um, you know, our, our level and median of income is very low for most of the parents and people that live in our school system. So if we didn't provide the helmets and the shoulder pads and, and all the things, it would be very expensive, and our numbers of kids that play would go down drastically. Yeah, Dr. Horner, is that a concern from your perspective as far as school systems with deep pockets can provide a better level of protection than less well-funded school systems? Well, I, I think there's one very important thing for our listeners that we need to address first. Okay. Number one, there is no scientific evidence, no proof that wearing a helmet reduces the incidence or prevents a concussion. Now, it's important to wear them because we do know that it prevents, helps prevent skull fractures, hemorrhages in the brain, bruising to the brain. So we think that whether you have a, a, what helmet you have, as long as it's approved by Noxy, then we don't think there's any evidence that one is any more protective than another taking in consideration the, the uh, star rating to some degree. But that's a very important point. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so what I personally do when I see patients in the office, the parents ask me this question often. I'm what sure. helmets do you recommend? And I simply tell them that I think if it's approved by Noxy, then it's an acceptable helmet. And a lot of these people don't have $400 mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they may sacrifice something else to try to get a better helmet. But we just don't have that data scientifically to say, to say that. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. 
We're uh, talking about concussions today and uh, a new you know, new guidelines in Indiana where, where coaches uh, need to take a course to, for, for recognition of concussions and, and a lot of other issues involving this, mainly with football, but there are a lot of other sports where this is an issue as well. If you have a question or a comment, please phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join the live chat at WFIU dot org slash noon edition and you can follow us on twitter at noon edition our uh, producer oh go ahead oh, oh i was just going to ask the ask the coach again you know you've talked a lot about um you know on and off the air about techniques that that you need to coach now and you're coaching differently i'm sure than you than you were coached back when you played so i mean what do you tell your players uh, you know football has definitely been in the spotlight when it comes to concussions and potential, you know, brain injuries and whatnot. You know, how do you how do you teach your kids to try to make sure that they are as safe as possible? Well, the first thing we always talk about is we talk about keeping your head out of the game. I mean, that's a standard line you'll hear our staff say. When I when I played, when I started coaching 30 years ago, I don't know that that was something that. I would have said it would have even come out of my mouth. They would have said, "Hit him," you know. I just hit, him, you know. And um, they used to have a standard kind of a joke: "Hit or sit." And if you don't hit, you're going to sit because it's a it's a it's a physical game. But we're always talking about keeping your head out of the game. Uh, practice has changed. Practice used to be a very when I played, it was a very physical, uh, toughest man survives. That's how you get to play on Friday. We don't take anybody to the ground during the week in practice. Nobody's going to the ground. Therefore, you're reducing the amount of heads that hit the ground, you know, because that causes, as doctor said, um, some, some of the impact on the brain. So there's everything's, everything's thud, what we call thud. So the minute they get to the point of a tackle in a scrimmage, the whistle's blowing, everybody stops. Um, so our ball carriers aren't taking the hits. Our defensive backs aren't lowering their heads to try to take the ball carrier to the ground. So nobody's ever going to the ground. Now, has that, has that helped? We think so. Um, we've had, we had fewer concussions. Again, I have 250 football players, 9 through 12. We had fewer concussions than one of our fall sports that had exactly 30 kids playing, which to me is amazing, and they weren't playing football. So we, we think we've reduced the number of concussions by changing how we practice, how we teach the technique of tackling, constantly reminding them keeping their head out of the game, um, and, and using proper techniques. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, and I agree with Coach. Uh, he should be complimented for going that extra mile. Um, we should be talking about prevention, mm-hmm. not talking about treatment. And that's one of the biggest things for prevention is how we play the game. Actually, in the new law in the, that was passed, there's actually four things that the coaches have to be credentialed on. This applies only to football this year. It's Mm. going to apply to other things in the coming years. But it applies to any coach, in whether it's club, anything else, that is coaching football players 20 and below. Mm -hmm. Okay, And it requires them every two years to take a course which includes four things. Concussion awareness, heat acclimatization, proper equipment fitting, and proper technique. So those are the important things, those taken together. Actually, Indiana is the first state of all the 50 states that have laws that have enacted this. So we think it's going to be helpful. Wow. Okay, we're going to take one call from, uh, from Brenda in Brownsburg uh, before our break. So Brenda has a question about the uh, helmet weight. Brenda, go ahead. Hello? Hey, Brenda, go ahead. Hi. Um, yes, I have a, a 12-year-old who plays football, and I heard... Um, the the woman from SG Helmet speaking about the weight of their helmet, and I think that's that's kind of an issue that I've been wondering about, especially in listening to the doctor speak about um, what helmets he recommends to his patients. I know for one, my son's helmet um, right now is is a competitor of SG Helmets. I believe it's a Riddell helmet. It's quite a bit heavier, and I've been wondering for a long time, you know, my son has often complained of neck pain or this and that, and we just kind of chalked it up to it being that's the way it is, the helmets are pretty heavy. I've never heard of a helmet being that lightweight before, and I'm wondering, obviously, if it's approved by Noxie and my son can wear it, why that wouldn't be a better option. I, I don't think we – this this is Dr. Horner – 
I don't think we have the data yet to look at helmet weight and helmet uh, other aspects of the helmets that we can answer that. I mean, that's going to come in time, maybe. But uh, and you know, a, the younger the age, the larger the head is in proportion to the body mm-hmm. for children. So that may have some effect. I think we have to prove that, though. Ashley, do you want to respond? Well, I think in. Um you know, I, of course, I agree with our caller here that weight does play an issue because our, our company is built on that principle. But looking at it and t- listening to Coach speak about all the efforts that he's gone through to eliminate head, the head from the game, and I think this is a national movement now with a lot of money being spent on heads-up football and, and teaching that better tackling. I've, I've heard helmet-free tackling and all these types of programs. When you talk about a young child, Again, looking at it as giving them a tool to actually implement what coach is being, what coach is teaching. When we talk about a four, a four and a half to five pound helmet, which is the range, then you look at that versus a one pound helmet. Even in day to day practicing, just on the wear and tear on the neck and the fatigue that plays in, especially on a warm day, you have to think that if they're able to keep their head up just because of the weight of the helmet, that's going to do a lot to reduce their injury risk. All right, we're going to have to take a break. Uh, we're talking about concussions, and mainly uh, we're talking about football, football helmets, football safety. Uh, we'll talk about some other sports after the break. We have on our website, wfiu.org uh, slash noon edition. You can find a poll about if you would be interested in paying a higher amount of money to make sure that you have the, the kind of helmet that you're your student, your child needs uh, to play this sport. So we'll be back uh, talking about this more. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Communications. More information at smithville.net. And IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. We're talking about uh, a new law that's gone into effect in Indiana that, that requires, well, there's a, there's a lot of things that this law requires, and I've got a, a long list, but basically uh, it covers any, any scholastic sport um, in scholastic and intramural sport in schools. Uh, for making sure that coaches are aware of, of a lot of different things about head injuries and potential other I- injuries and health-related issues. We're talking about that with uh, t- Dr. Terry Horner, Indiana Sports Concussion Network, Coach Mike Kirshner, the head football coach at Ben Davis High School, and Ashley Horn, sales manager uh, from SG Helmets, which is based in Brownsburg, correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay, great, great. I just want to make sure I got that right. Uh, So if you want to join us, please phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or um, 877-285-9348 outside the local area, wfiu.org slash noon edition. And also you can tweet at noon edition. You know, Coach Kirshner, we're, we're, you know, we're picking on football a little bit. Football's the sport that's sort of in the limelight. It's, you know, a lot of people say it's past baseball is America's pastime. It's where you read about you know former NFL players that have had issues. It's certainly a big issue there. But I want to turn just for a second to other sports because you're talking about uh, in football trying to get the head out of the game. Uh, we just went through, you know, we watched the World Cup and everybody knows that in soccer the head is very much a part 
of the game. And I wanted to ask um, the doctor about that. Is uh, soccer a sport where there are a lot of concussions and are there things that can be done if the rules stay the same, they play the game the same, they keep the head in the game? Are there things that can be done to reduce the number of concussions in soccer? Well, the most uh, common sport for males with concussions, football. The second most common for males is soccer. For females, the first is soccer. Okay, so that kind of gives you an idea. Um, there's a lot of talk about heading the ball, and w what does that do? There's no no evidence that heading the ball causes concussions. There've even been some studies looking at the professionals that have had tens of thousands of headers. So at this point, if you're heading the ball properly, you have your neck muscles tight, you're keeping this acceleration-deceleration movement of the head from happening. Uh, so we don't really blame it on that. Usually all of the soccer players that we see have either gone up together to do a header and they've hit each other's head or shoulder to the head or you know, to the ground or shoulder or pole or whatever. So the mechanisms are the same in each of the two sports is just uh, a little more aggressive in football than no. it is uh, in soccer. Mm -hmm. The same principles apply. Mm -hmm. We want to do all the things that we can do to keep them safe and to take those behaviors out of the games that promote concussion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just, as, as a, just to mention another sport, <clears throat> I know in baseball, um, Catchers in baseball used to wear, you know, back when Mike played baseball and I played baseball, they'd have this mask and maybe not even have a helmet on their head when they're, hat on they're catching. The hat on backwards. That's right. Yep. And now, I mean, I think I just saw in, in the most recent Sports Illustrated something about a new helmet that catchers are wearing that have some new composite uh, material in them. But they're basically like the hockey helmets that they're putting on. Um, and also, I think in Major League Baseball, if I'm not um, – if, if I'm – Correct. I think they have a new uh, seven-day concussion mandatory sit-out period for like uh, instead of going on the disabled list for two weeks, you go on for one week until you get through your concussion symptoms. So in that sport, it's also seems to be a, a fairly major issue these days. Is that right, Doctor? Yeah, we don't see it as much in in uh, baseball, um, but we do see it in baseball and softball in the high mm -hmm. schoolers. <clears throat> the um, but but it's not just getting hit by the ball. It's running the bases, getting tagged. It's going after a fly and hitting the wall. It's two players come together, not calling the fly. Uh, so there's different uh, different mechanisms. Certainly we've seen the pitchers that have gotten hit pretty hard with a struck ball. Um, so we do see it, but it's not nearly as prevalent as the other sports, particularly soccer, football, lacrosse, ice hockey, and Mm -hmm. Field hockey. You know, we've been talking a lot about the head uh, and concussions, but I'm wondering, the neck is such an important component of all of this. What kind of research is being done, and what kind of evidence do, do you see in your practice that the neck is also a part of, of an important part of this whole component? Well, I told you before that, that, that the most common cause for concussion in females sport-wise is soccer. But if you compare males and females in soccer, girls get it more often than boys. And we think part of that is less neck development, okay? And I used to, or I commonly tease the girls, I said, well, you can get a big bull neck, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, but none of them go for that. Um, but we think that that's part of it. Now, there are not any specific studies. There was a, a study in University of Michigan with their football team where they spent more time focusing on neck uh, uh, development, and they thought their concussions were down. But I don't think they're statistically mm -hmm. significant mm -hmm. for that. But it, it's something we have to consider. That helps us reduce this acceleration-deceleration mm -hmm. or rotational forces, which are so important in mm -hmm. concussion. What about damage to the neck itself? Um, Is that out of your practice? Uh, no, no. And uh, we still see neck injuries. We don't see as many as we did before because we modify how we play the game. Mm -hmm. So we used to see spear tackling, yeah. and, and we would have neck fractures with that a lot. So we don't see that nearly as much. Um, 
But, what is that? I don't even know what that is. It sounds awful. Well, spear tackling is where you use a helmet to tackle. To you help you literally tackle. lead with your he- top right. of your head and try to just spear into them and knock them down. So you get a little fracture yeah. off of the body of the vertebrae, and mm-hmm. they develop progressive problems. Sure, of course, yeah. You go back to the neck, just to add to that, in, in our program, at least, in our strength program, all boys and girls, because I'm with our strength coach. We have a certified strength coach at Ben Davis, and I'm in the class with him, um, and our all our athletes are in the class, but they not only have neck machines, four-way neck machines, they have to do manual resistance neck strengthening boys and girls to try to help. We don't know if it, again, he, he said, I don't know if the stats help, but we think the development of the neck muscles is just part of the whole development of an athlete. So we go to great lengths to develop neck muscles, boys and girls, and we don't ask the girls if they care if they have a bull neck. This, this part of the program. <laughs> you know, um, I, I don't ask, and this is what you're Scarves doing. Scarves are so. in fashion, don't we? <laughs> All right. We have a phone call, and uh, Kelly from Indianapolis has a question about SG helmets. Kelly? Hi, thank you so much for taking my phone call. Sure. Um, first of all, I just wanted to address this to Ashley, who I think is on the phone with you guys mm-hmm. from SMG Helmets. Right. And I just want to say thank you so much for um, just letting us know there's another option. I have a son that plays football, and I'm wondering the best way to get more information about SMG or how to get a hold of them or can I look at what they offer. Um, just the best way to get a hold of SMG Helmets. Uh, SG Helmets can be found uh, online at www.sghelmets.com. We also, if you, I think she was from Indianapolis. We, uh, mm-hmm. you know, here locally, if, if you want to take a drive out to Brownsburg, we do offer uh, appointments at our shop to come in and see what we're all about and see what we're trying to do. And if you uh, want to bring your son by, we're also happy to do any fitting out there as well. Okay. That's awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you for your call, Kelly. If you have a call or a question, give us a, uh, give us a call at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 in the local or in the outside of the Bloomington calling area. WFIU.org slash Noon Edition is the website. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Um, Coach, do, when you select the helmets, and I know both of you have talked about how you know, there's not. Uh, you don't see the evidence that the um, the lighter head helmet is more effective. Although Ashley may disagree with that. But when you select the helmets, I mean, what kind of process do you go through to decide what you think is best for your team and your program? Well, um, right now, most of it, we have two different kinds of helmets. We have shut helmets and we have um, the Riddell helmets. Are the two types of helmets? Um, we look at it. For us, it's the two. Two helmets we've been buying for a number of years. SG's been in business, like she said, for about the last three. We really haven't looked at them that close. There's also another helmet maker called Zenith. I've met with them uh, twice this last fall, uh, last two years after the fall, and just haven't quite gotten to the point where we've purchased any of theirs yet. Um, the biggest thing we talk about is the fit, which you alluded to in the, uh, the doctor alluded to in the test. Our trainers come out and measure every kid's helmet head um, w- with a measuring tape. We get a true measure. They tell us the size helmet that needs to be fitted on that kid. And the helmets come with the, the different air components that we can kind of fit. Um, the, 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 another problem we run into, and, and I don't know, um, is is the kids who don't want the helmet to fit snugly on their heads. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can remember when I was a kid, the helmets would be so tight that the skin would peel off my forehead because it would be so tight right here with that old plastic hard. They don't want to do that. They want it to be loose. They want it to be cool. Um, and so we go to great lengths to have our trainers involved in the whole fitting process to make sure we're, 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 we're getting the right helmet on the right kid and getting them to understand why the helmet has to fit a certain way. Mm-hmm. So right now in our program, we have Shut and Rydell helmets are the two we use. Okay. Um, I want to know, you know, based on the new regulations this year, I mean, how's that going to change what happens on Friday night? Does it make any changes? I know that that, that for a long time you've you've tried to you know, you've had probably tests you do on your kids when they come off the field about if they if they had a particular hard hit. But are there new things that you have to do during a game? Uh, I don't. Go, we have not because of our doctors and trainers being on the sideline. If they see a kid get hit a certain way. They get to them before I can. 
I mean, if they if they think a kid took a shot that just didn't look right, the helmet, the head, something, they grab them, immediately take the helmet from the kid, and and our next move is the next guy in, mm-hmm. and that's what we're always telling our kids. You know, you hear the the topic next man up, or all. we just always tell our kids the reason we have 150 kids 10 through 12 in the program is there's another kid waiting to play, and this is your opportunity, and the trainers will tell us what's going on, trainers and doctors. Yeah, Dr. Horner, I, I wonder. Oh, did you want to respond to that? Well, I I was just going to say we have a a pretty defined thing that we like to do on the sidelines. Actually, the schools that we're involved with now, we're having them take a a baseline SCAT-3 test. That's kind of a test that tests our cognition, it tests our sequencing, it tests our balance, so that then we have something to compare to at the time of the concussion. Um, If... The most important thing on the sideline is to make the diagnosis. So if they have a head event and they have a symptom, then we know they're out of the game. But before they go home, we want to really examine them well. So if they're a high school student, we don't want them driving home if they're affected by their concussion. So we'll do the SCAT-3, which will help us. Getting their symptoms will help us. But the things that determine when they can go back to play are... They have to be free of symptoms at rest. We think that neurocognitive testing, and we use impact most of the time here in, in Indiana, is helps us to tell what the function of the brain is. So we insist on using that, and they have to pass that test before they can go back, and then they have to do this return to play protocol, which they start out with exercises, then gradually move up according to their sport mm-hmm. until they're, they're doing the things that they would do in their sport. So if it's football, we like to see them sprinting, one-on-one contact, and then a full practice before they go back. Mm-hmm. So those three things are what determine for us that the brain is recovered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, go ahead. Well, what I was going to ask you uh, before was if you could in- institute any changes that Let's just say you could wave your Dr. Wand and, and change anything you wanted to. What would you like to see changed in high school sports as it relates to concussions that hasn't already happened? Well, I think the emphasis on how to play the game, okay? Not uh, just football, but the other sports all, as well. All the sports, uh-huh. how they play the game, the technique you use. We've got to change the mindset of both the coaches, the public, and the players because what do we see in football we see the greatest hits you know Mm. so that's publicized you play sports for a reason we want the kids to have fun and we want them to win but we don't want them to go out and kill their opponent okay or vice versa so we want to emphasize the mindset is that's the reason you're playing the game you know sports are important you know, it's you. It's a life learning lesson as you do sports. So I think it's all the things that we can do to change the mindset of the public, the press, the kids, and the coaches and administrators. And I think that's going to help prevent it. But we have to do the guidelines that we have now mm-hmm. to determine when they have a concussion, get them out of the field of play, and not bring them back until we're sure their brain is recovered. Okay. We'd like to hear your questions. If you uh, want to have any questions about uh, how to keep your kids uh, who are playing football or soccer or anything else safe, uh, you can give us a call, 855-0811 in Bloomington, or toll-free, 1-877-285-9348. You can also join us by live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Yeah, there are a lot of different uh, issues to to pursue, I know. Um, in I, I'm trying to wrap my arms around this new law and what's really changed. I mean, I know, uh, Mike, you've talked about how you've been basically doing the kinds of things that are being mandated by the law for the last five years or so, maybe longer. Um, so, I mean, what what is the key thing in this in, in this new law, the new regulations? I mean. Uh, is Mike an outlier in the fact that his his uh, program has been doing this? Or I, I think part of it's something that the doctor alluded to earlier is is you got to make everybody aware. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've got your and I don't want this to sound bad, but it's going to your weekend warrior dads who got their six year old son out there who remembered playing in 1975 and this is how I did it and that's how he's teaching it. Uh, at our school, like this Saturday at, at 10 a.m., I have all. 
of our youth league coaches have to go through a mandatory clinic with me or they're not allowed to coach. And that's part of the reason is so that they become educated. You've got um, people, we got kids, you know, I know we're talking about concussions, but you've got basketball kids who are playing 100 games a year. And, and I know people are seeing the number of knee injuries are, are skyrocketing. And again, that's not your brain. So you can you can fix the knee and, and move on. And, uh, and But it's not the brain. But overuse of kids has become a, a real problem. Um, and I think at the high school level, at least at ours, we, we do a great job of training our kids in the off season, both physically, speed development, physical development to help them take the rigors of the sports they play. But I think that the knowledge of youth sports and travel coaches and all the things, we're just playing. We're, we're just, I get frustrated because I, I think we lose the value of sports, which is teaching kids work ethic, working together, coming together as a team, learning to compete because life is a competition we compete in jobs we compete for everything we do life's a competition but we're not we're not getting that in, in travel basketball or travel because they'll play the game they'll get beat 25 minutes later they're back on the court playing another game they're talking about how many points they scored and and, and we're missing the component of everything that goes into sports it's it's been lost in the theory of the united states that more is better <laughs> and in this case more is not better that's why our injuries not just concussion and doctor i might be wrong but the number of injuries in all parts of our bodies, the broken bones, the ACLs, have all been amplified because we're doing so much to the kids' bodies. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I agree with Coach. Education, we use the term education is the key in concussion. If you don't know the signs and symptoms, you don't know if you've had a concussion, and we want those kids to take themselves out mm -hmm. if they have a concussion. Mm -hmm. If you're a coach coaching it and you don't know what you're doing wrong, then that doesn't help. So, right. so I couldn't agree more with education. So back to to the law, as, mm -hmm. as I understand it, the law really does only um, uh, affect people who are in grades 9 through 12. So, you know, coach is talking about, no? Is that no, it affects anybody that's coaching a kid under the age of 20. Am right. I right? That's right. All my staff, middle school, youth leagues, everybody has had to take the test. Oh, yeah. Everybody. Mm -hmm. Heat illness a test mm -hmm. and concussion test. Mm -hmm. yeah. What I want to know is, uh, it is do, before the season starts, do you have a meeting with parents? Where you, where you? I mean, it sounds like it's great if the coaches are doing the right thing. But again, if parents are encouraging their children to do things that aren't in their long-term best physical interest, just not out of any meanness or anything, mm -hmm. but, but just ignorance. Um, how do you handle that as a, as a coach? You mean, do, do I have parent meetings? Yes. I, I mean, I meet with parents constantly. Individually, uh, you know, as a whole group, we'll have a whole parent meeting, uh, 9 through 12. The, for the middle schools are required to have a parent meeting. I go to the youth league and have a parent meeting with the youth league. And all this is kind of, I, I, I go as far as not only explaining the concussions. In fact, we just had a youth camp, had 200 kids at this youth camp. And the last 30 minutes was talking about concussions and your role as a parent, mm -hmm. you know, and your role as a parent doesn't end when your kid turns 12 or 18 or 25. Your role as a parent is a lifetime commitment. And, and, and we talk about things like that. So we're trying to bring it to the forefront because parents are getting information from all different on this concussion mm -hmm. from all different angles mm -hmm. now. Uh, well, I'm not going to let my kid play football. He's going to play soccer. Well, there's a chance your kid could get a concussion playing soccer. You know, let's let's talk about why we play football and how we are now teaching it to better protect your kid. And so um, we, we try to educate the public um, as best we can. Mm -hmm. And the elements of the law initially is, as it was uh, enacted and came into effect 2012. And of all the 50 states, it's very similar in the fact that, one, they have to provide education to the parents and to the athlete. So at the beginning of the season, they get this information. They then have to sign a thing send it back to the coach or whoever is designated at school to see that. Now, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes I don't think they read it. <laughs> um, in most cases, yeah. I don't uh, think they read it. So we, we need to you know, emphasize that. So they get some education there. The second thing about the law is if you suspect a concussion or diagnose it, the kid is out and he cannot return to play until he's seen a health care provider trained to treat concussions or head injuries. So those are the three main elements of the law. Now, what's been added is, uh, and this only applies to high school, mm -hmm. that if, uh, if you had a concussion, then you cannot come back for 24 hours. 
Um, now, one of the things I think this was to address, say you have a soccer weekend, so you have a game on Friday night, Saturday, maybe two games and one on Sunday. So say the kid has a concussion on Friday night, feels great on Saturday, wants to play the game on Saturday, not 24 hours. You know, that's one way to keep them out. But they haven't qualified because they haven't seen a healthcare professional necessarily, and they have unless they have a mm. team doctor that travels mm-hmm. with them. Um, so, and the other thing about the 20 and below in football, and I think all the other sports are going to be included in the coming years, working mm-hmm. with the committee there. Um, the thing that the the uh, the law defines is it has to be using a facility, field, park, or other property that is owned, leased, operated, or maintained by the state or a political subdivision. So possibly parochial schools would not be included in that except if they play another school that plays on a uh-huh. public property, then they're they have to do it as well. So the same way with club sports. Mm-hmm. But that is one little thing about the law. That mm-hmm. the Very quickly, I want to bring Ashley back on and, and ask uh, a couple of questions. One is, do you, do you uh, specialize uh, you know, or do you only deal in football helmets or are there helmets for other sports that your company's involved with? And then two, after that, um, are the parents that you come in contact with informed about concussions, do you believe? To answer the first part of your question, we are currently only manufacturing football helmets, and the parents we deal with are usually a unique population. We deal with a lot of parents who are concerned because most parents are not really researching or interested in purchasing their own helmet until their child has had an injury or until one of their friends has had a serious injury and now all of a sudden are trying to be more proactive. We see a lot of parents who have had uh, children injured in other sports and are now preparing for football season. So I think in general, our uh, parent population is unique and a little more informed than the average population. However, I do encounter a lot of parents that are either overly scared or a little bit under under scared, if that's if that's the <laughs> right way to say that, we have parents that have kind of sensationalized a little bit of the media reports and, and take it to a level that I think is a little bit extreme. Um, I have parents tell me all the time, "Well, I know if he gets one concussion, he's not going to get to play, or or if he gets another concussion, he's definitely not going to ha- get a football scholarship." These kinds of things, which are over generalizations and, and statements that have no validity. However, I also hear parents tell me things that are. Um, come from a place of ignorance, from just lack of education on the injury. And so what we try and do is, is help people understand helmets are just a part of the game. The equipment is just a part of the issue here. Concussions are a very multifaceted issue. When you talk about behavior and how you're tackling, we talk about recognition and what it's supposed to feel like. The culture around football is definitely a, a contributing factor. We want to parents and players to understand alike that it is not normal or it is not okay for you to walk off the field and have a headache after every practice. And a lot of players will say, well, you know, it's just part of the game, or we'll hear the dad who is reminiscing on the 70s that, well, it happened to me when I was playing. And now that we're more educated as a society and the medical community is more educated, we try and pass that along to parents and let them know what to look out for. All right. Ashley, thank you very much. We are out of time. I'm afraid we're going to have to get, to get off the air. I want to thank our guests today, Dr. Terry Horner, uh, Coach Mike Kirshner, and Ashley Horn from SG Helmets. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Gretchen Frazee, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and The Herald Times. You can find podcasts of this and other WFIU programs at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, 
addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement, offering undergraduate and advanced degrees, publichealth.indiana.edu.